we're going to start a, a new series today, and we're going to talk about covenant relationships, and we're just going to be all over the page as we move throughout the series, but I promise, I, I bet God's got something in store for you that you need to hear today. I know that it's, I've been really enlightened over the past several months as I've been looking at this subject, and I'm just assured that we have no real clue of really what God had in mind when he designed relationships. And we just seem to constantly miss the mark. Um, but we're going to get jiggy with it over the next few weeks. Is that okay? <laughs> we're going to get jiggy with it. <clears throat> um, let me just ask you a question. Let's just suppose that you've lost sleep over the past few weeks. Let's just suppose that there's been something that's taken place in your life that has distracted you. Now, I'll say this and I'll be on the low side. 75% of those issues that you've dealt with that have caused you to be sleepless or have sleepless nights has been because it's involved a relationship. Is that true? Everybody's like looking at me. I mean, it could be finances. I mean, we just come out of a financial issue. It could be finances. But most of us, if you're going to lose sleep, you're going to lose sleep over an issue dealing with a relationship. Somebody's, somebody's hurt you, man. Somebody's wronged you. It could have been a, a spouse. It could be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be your neighbor. It could be your boss. And as a result, it's just completely turned your life upside down. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's caused utter chaos. And as a result, you just got this knot down in your stomach. And this is what we know about relationships. They're extremely powerful. Man, it can be just, just, just feel warm and fuzzy. And man, like you can go out and conquer the world. Or it can just put you in a place that you just feel like you, you're worse than dirt. Down on the bottom of the world. Relationships. They're powerful. And how many times is the reason that our relationships, that we're struggling inside of the relationships, take place because we decide to live and treat relationships the way that we want to treat them instead of the way that God designed for us to treat them? And you know what happens when we treat relationships the way that um, we, within our culture, want to treat relationships? There's always going to be issues, aren't there? Reminded of a story that I heard the other day, and I just had to laugh. It's about this. This lady in the old days, she was a little bit older than most to be married. She was probably in her young 30s. And back then, you know, it was just, you know, you're supposed to get married when you're like 15, 13, 14, that age, you know. But she grew up on a horse farm, Mr. Charlie. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, her daddy owned a horse and buggy farm. And so when she met this fellow that come calling her name and saying, I want to marry you, she said, I tell you what, I'll get, get daddy to, to deliver one of those horse and buggies. And, and uh, they didn't have automobiles back then. She said, you know, we'll just be swept away by the horse and buggy after we say our dues and, and we'll go off on our honeymoon. So that's exactly what happened after they said I do and they were in love and they kissed and, you know, people threw their rice and they stood outside and they went to get on this horse and buggy and she jumped up in the driver's seat. And uh, 
the guy, he didn't really pay that much of attention. It really wasn't that big a deal. He just said, well, just go ahead and drive. So off they went, and she just would, she would give that horse a little nudge, and he would move. Well, partway down, the, partway down the path, the horse just stops in the middle of the road, and the guy's looking at her saying, what's going on here? What's taking place? And she goes, I got it. She gets out. She goes around to the front of the horse. She, she grabs him by the halter. Isn't that what you call it? The halter. And she looks him in the eye, looks that horse in the eye, and she goes, that's one. She turns around, she gets back up, gets back in the buggy. She gets back in the buggy and, uh, and she gives it a little bit of push and off, off the horse goes. The guy looks at her, he goes, man, that's, that's something else. A little ways down the path, uh, horse stops again. And the guy goes, you got to be kidding me. She goes, I got it. She gets out, she goes around to the front of the horse, she grabs him, looks him in the eye, and she goes, that's two. She turns around, she gets back in the horse and buggy. Horse takes off. A little bit further down the road, horse stops again for the third time. The guy goes, you got to be kidding me. The woman didn't say a word. She reached into her little purse that she had. There. She pulls out a pistol. She walks around to the front of the horse, and she shoots him dead right there. Horse just flat out dead right on the ground. She turns around, gets back up in the buggy, and she looks at her husband, and he says to her, that's the dumbest thing I think I've ever seen in my life. How in the world are we going to get to where we're going now? And she looked at him, and she goes, that's one. <laughs> Abby thought it was funny, so. <laughs> Relationships don't always get started off on the wrong, on the right foot, do they? Um, maybe you've never thought about this, but, but in relationship to our relationships, um, primarily our marriage and family, I want you to hear this, our relationships with one another primarily our relationship with our spouse, our family, our, in, our, our close family, but not limited to that, affect our relationship with God. Have you ever thought about that? That our relationships with one another here on this earth affect our relationship with God. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was questioned about what was the most important um, what was the most important commandment? Jesus didn't give one, but he gave two. Love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what Jesus was saying. Listen, if you love me, you'll be able to love them. If you love them, you'll be able to love me. But you'll not be able to love them without loving me, and you won't be able to love me without loving them. In other words, our horizontal relationships affect our vertical relationship. That's just the way it is. Um, if you want an earthly relationship to work, you got to get closer to God. If you want a relationship with God to work, you got to get closer to people because they are inseparable relationships. Because you can't love God without loving people, and you can't love people without loving God. Now, I want to go to a passage of Scripture today, and we're going to start off there, and we're just going to be all over the pages for the next several weeks. But I think within this, as we talk and as we discuss, you're going to see God paint a picture. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you, and He's going to say to you, there's something that I've been missing all of my life. Wow. I've never seen that before until now. But I want you to turn with me to a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament found in the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi would be the last book that you'll find in the Old Testament. If you know anything about the Bible, it is divided into two parts, the Old and the New. Um, if, if you have a hard time finding, go to the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One of those that you might find as you turn open the Bible and go back one and you'll find the book of Malachi. And I want you to turn to chapter 2 as we start today. But the prophet Malachi, 
is making comments in reference to the um, willful disobedience towards God that, that the Jews had been, had been out of arrogance. They were just basically saying, we really don't care. We're going to do what we want to do regardless of how much you love us, God. We're just going to do it. He starts off in the book of Malachi by dealing with the issues of the priest. Can you imagine there would be priests or pastors that would have issues and willful disobedience against God? Can you imagine that? You're supposed to say, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then he gets back and he begins to talk to the Jews and, he, and he, he's talking to them and just, man, he's reprimanding them for where their hearts are at. And we're going to pick this passage of Scripture up here um, in verse 13 is where we're going to start out. And so if you would, just, just read along in this passage with me today in, in Malachi chapter 2, verse 13, as we hear what God wants us to hear. Um, let's pray this morning. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? We're going to be all over the page today. But you've got something you want us to hear. There are some that are here that are going to walk out of here this morning that are just going to be, oh man, I've blown it. As a matter of fact, every one of us probably will. Because every one of us have been in a time and place in a relationship where we've just not responded as you as habits to respond. I pray that we would sense God's grace and understand that, God, you're not, you're not here to, to reprimand us or to stand over the top of us. Uh, you're here to embrace us and to love us. And, and you love us not so much to leave us where we are, but, Father, to love us to a place that we would come to live and experience uh, greatness of life as you desired for us to experience. So remove any condemnation that may be in this place today. Father, I pray that we'd hear your voice, and in the midst of hearing your voice, we would respond, and we would respond in love, so respond in obedience. Thank you for your word, because it's what convicts, and it's your word that changes the lives of people, not some great speech or funny story, but it's your word. And so, Holy Spirit, would you speak today? That's what I'm praying in your name. Amen. And this is what it says in verse 13. Here is another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning, because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. So you've got a group of people that are in willful disobedience but doing religious stuff. Ever been around somebody like that? Here they are, living in willful disobedience to God's Word, yet going through with the religious motions. Now they come to the offer and they weep and they moan. They cry out. And what does it say? He pays no attention to the offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. They cry out, God, where are you? Where are you? And look at what it says in verse 14. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows that you and your wife made when you were young, but you've been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Now, if you take that passage of Scripture, understand that there are several other translations that don't translate marriage vows, but translates that passage marriage covenant. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Look at verse 15. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are His. And what does He want? What does He want? godly children from your union. See, there's two things inside of the marriage that God designed marriage for. Procreation, having children, and illustration. For us to be able to illustrate 
our relationship with God, the love inside of our relationship with our spouse. Two things, two reasons for marriage, procreation and illustration. And he goes on to say, um, and why is it so important for those relationships to be in part? Because believe it or not, our relationship with our spouse, our loved ones affect our children. That's just the way it is. Just telling you what it says right here. Our relationships with our spouses affect our relationship with our children. So if you want to raise godly children, we've got to be careful of how we treat our spouses. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Verse 16, for I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. Now, some will say that he was just speaking to men at this time because within the culture that they were living, men, were, um, men had the ability to get a divorce, but not a woman. Now, within our culture, we know what? That we not only have men walking away from relationships and marriage covenants, now we have what? We have women walking away and leaving the marriage covenant. Now we have men and women coming up with all various excuses of why they don't need to stay within that bound of marriage. And we can come up with all kinds of reasons why we can walk away and why, why it's okay. But regardless of the reason, what does God have to say about it? What does God have to say about it? I hate it. And why do you think God hates divorce? Why do you think He hates divorce? This is a participation time. Broke a covenant. Huh? He is faithful. Dis disrupts the model that God set in place. Now, see, this is tough, guys, because some of you are sitting right here and going, but I've been through the board. Listen, no condemnation, okay? Why in the world do you think God did what he did? Because he know, knew that we are sinful people. That's what he does. He knows. God says, I hate divorce because of all the conflict is sin. He hates divorce. He goes on to say, to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's army. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. Some of the translations say it this way. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as his garments, says the Lord God of the Almighty. And that's like, well, what in the world is that saying there? Because that just don't make a lick of sense. Not at all. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. You have done violence to the one that you're supposed to protect, the one that you're supposed to honor, the one that you're supposed to love, the one that you're supposed to, to nurture. You have caused her uh, heartache and cruelty. The one that you're supposed to tech, protect, you've harmed. It's a little bit easier to understand it from that perspective. And twice the prophet says to guard our hearts. Guard your heart. Because you know what? It's easy to all of a sudden convince yourself that something is right when it's not right. The prophet Jeremiah would say this. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things. You ever been with somebody before and they've justified something? You're looking at them going, where in the world did that come from? You ever heard? How? How? On God's green earth, can you justify doing or saying what you're talking? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, I can see it. But here you've come up and you've justified it all of a sudden. You've given in. Guard your heart is what the prophet says. And it's amazing the things that we can talk ourselves into doing and how deceitful the heart can be. Um, 
And what the prophet is saying here is when our relationships are in crisis, it isn't the time to bail out. Instead, it's um, and do violence. But it's a time to protect. It's a time to hold on to. When times get difficult, it's not a time to turn around and run. And when we aren't living to please God, we'll make some very, very costly decisions. Because it's easy for us just to sort of give in and go along. And every one of us in this room has been hurt by somebody at some point in time. And you had to respond. And I don't really know how you responded. But every one of us has been hurt or disappointed, whether by a friend or a family or a spouse. And man, some of the issues that we deal with are simple. Is he doesn't pick his underwear off the ground. I have the wife, wives are sort of listening to this and laughing. Or it might be, man, she, she, every time she cooks, she burns the food. Or, you know, it might be with a friend. You know, they didn't invite me to their party they had and my feelings are hurt. But sometimes the relationship issues aren't, aren't that small. Sometimes they're really big stuff. I mean, sometimes they deal with mistrust, and sometimes they deal with brokenness and, and adultery. Sometimes the issues are very, very difficult. Sometimes they're not that simple. And I've heard some stories. I've heard some stories to the place that I think to myself, you've got to be kidding. I can't believe that you'd be putting up with that foolishness. How in the world can you deal with all that stuff? Tom, I know you hear it all the time. But sometimes relationships are extremely complicated and they're difficult and they're nasty and they're dirty. But it's amazing how we pick and choose who and what we hold on to and who and what we let go of. I've seen people in a relationship before that chooses to let somebody go over something really simple that's, you're like going, you've got to be kidding me. Yet hold on to a family member over here on the other side that's just treating them like trash. I mean, hold on to a family member that's in the midst of all kinds of foolishness, causing all kinds of chaos, uh, with all kinds of immoral stuff that's taking place in their life. And here they're willing to let a spouse go over something that's as simple as, you know what, I just don't like the way they look in the morning. They looked at me the wrong way. Or I just don't love them anymore. And all of a sudden they're, they're pushing this one out the door and they're holding on to this one. You're like going, what in the world is taking place? And you'll have somebody justify it by saying something like this. Well, don't you know that blood is thicker than water? Blood is thicker than water. Yeah, yeah, the person that I'm related to. The person that I'm related to, my blood is a whole lot more important. Why in the world are you holding on to the family member? Blood is thicker than water. I mean, how can I, how can I push my blood out on the street? That's my sis. Or that's my brother. Or that's my dad. How can I push them out? Yet so willing on the other side to be able to push a, push a spouse out. What if those of us were married? What if we were to consider our spouse instead of being a disposable relationship? What if we saw it as a blood relationship? What instead if we saw it as a personal convenience issue that we saw it as a covenant issue you know we hear the phrase blood is thicker than water and we say that that has to deal with you know that my relationship with my brother and my sister is more important than other relationships but that's ne not necessarily what it means as a matter of fact in the original meaning it meant the blood of the covenant the covenant that we are in is more important than any other relationship 
The blood of the covenant that I am involved in is more important than the water of the womb. Or the relationship that I'm in covenant with is stronger and more valued than the relationship with the one that I shared the womb with. In the basic form of the, of the Hebrew word covenant, I want you to, you might want to pencil this down. It means to cut to the point that there is blood. To make a covenant meant you cut a covenant. Now see, inside of the, inside of the marriage today, what's the only thing that we cut? The cake. But inside of the covenant in the days of old which we don't understand now because it's not within our culture there was something else that was cut and it was cut to the point of blood because it was serious matter of fact going back to Matthew chapter 26 when we look at Jesus before the night that he was, was betrayed when they got when they were celebrating uh, the Passover meal which now we celebrate as the as the as the Lord's Supper which we did last week remember Jesus would take the bread and he would break it and then uh, he said, this is my body which was broken for you. And then he would take that cup of wine and he would hold it up. And he said, for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. I mean, we just don't walk around today and say, I just want to cut a covenant with Danny. We just don't say that these days. Danny's my bud. But cut a covenant... Shed blood over Danny? I don't think so. A covenant is a solemn agreement. A solemn agreement initiated by the shedding of blood. The word covenant carries a huge, huge significance. The cutting of a covenant. To think of a covenant meant to think of blood. It meant to think of sacrifice. As a matter of fact, what they would do is they would take an animal and they would cut him into pieces. And they would take and they would hold hands and they would walk into the middle of that animal that had been sacrificed and those pieces that were scattered. And they would make a, a sort of a, a, of, a, of a saying, something along this line. May I ever remain faithful to the covenant that I have with you. And if I break bond, if I break covenant, may what happened to this animal happen to me. That's pretty doggone serious. That's pretty serious if you really want to think about it. And what Jesus was saying that night in the upper room before His crucifixion was that the cup of wine that He had presented represented the blood of the covenant, the blood that He would shed for our sins. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, this is what Paul said, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And to reconcile means to do what? It means to take what is hostile, what is, what is separated to, and he says it is the means to bring them back together, to remove that hostility. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he died on a cross. That shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins would be what would bring us together. In the Jewish marriage traditions, what they would do is they would cut the palms of the hands of the man and the woman, and they would take those palms and they would place those palms together. And then they would wrap a cord around that to symbolize a cord not so quickly broken. That's pretty doggone serious. Today we just give somebody a ring. That's a little bit simpler than the cutting of a palm, the significance of the blood that would be shed. And in the midst of the exchanging of the vows, what they would do is they would promise all of their rights and all of their resources to each, to each other. 
And it was saying that I am in a blood relationship with you. I am in a blood covenant. I am in a solemn binding agreement because blood is thicker than water. I am in a covenant relationship with you. A blood relationship with you. That blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the room. But see, the world standards is, listen, I'm committed to you as long as... See, the world standard is this, don't you cross me. It's not till death do part, but until you... And you can... I mean, how many of us have, have got something that you're just holding over your spouse's head right now? How many of us have something in here that you're holding over your spouse, over somebody else that you're in a relationship with it? And you, the only thing you're doing is, I'm watching you, baby. Don't mess up. Because when you do, I'm out of here. Aren't you glad that God's covenant relationship with us, that it was complete? And it was unconditional, not based on our response towards Him. Wow. Unbelievable. I'm so glad that God's response and His love for me isn't contractual. That when I blow it, God just doesn't say, well, listen, I'm picking up my toys and I'm going to someplace else. That's not what He does, but He hangs with us. He says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, that even though you may run from me, I will consistently pursue you because I love you. You know, I usually say something like this in weddings. I'll make a statement like this, Steve, in taking this woman that you hold by your hands, do you solemnly promise to love her without qualification, to give yourself without reserve to her, and to consider her needs to be of equal importance to that of your own as long as you both shall live? And when we did this several years ago, Steve says, I do. I do. And then we'll follow up that statement by saying, Steve, do you, do you solemnly promise to take uh, Sharon, to be your companion for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do part. And Steve said, I do. I do. But I wonder how many of us in the marriage relationship today even understand the significance of what we're, what we're even talking about. I wonder even if we even begin to understand the significance of what we're saying. Man, listen, I didn't understand it, so I can't even expect you to understand it. I didn't know there was going to be difficult times. I didn't know that there was going to be issues that you were just going to walk out or she was going to walk out or we were going to fuss and fight and, and get, you know, I didn't understand that. I just thought it was all supposed to be about love. I mean, what else matters, baby? Get it over with so we can go experience the honeymoon. so important that we understand the relationship that we're going into and the covet responsibilities and that's why we spend several weeks as we prepare somebody and talk to somebody about marriage that's why to what Tom and Sandy what they do is so important in talking to people and encouraging them before they make that covenant of marriage because I don't care what book you read I don't care what tape you listen to or what kind of counsel you get baby I'm gonna tell you what it's serious business when you get down into that relationship, it is serious business. And every relationship will fail as long as you're holding something over their head. It's not going to last. How many of us just went into, the, into that vow and we said, man, listen, uh, just tell me what you need me to say and I'll say it. We just sort of go along with the flow. That, 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 I'll just, and we make it easy by saying, I do. I've, I've gone to the place of saying, I will with all my heart. Not a part of my heart, not just I will, but I will with all my heart. All my heart. 
all my heart. How many of us are truly only in it as long as you make me happy or as long as you do what I want you to do? See, but in a covenant relationship, there's more. There's so much more. Covenant says, I will protect you because I am for you. I've got your back. I'm standing for you. And when the difficulty comes, it isn't about bailing out, but it's about remaining strong. And you might want to write this down. Again, covenant is a solemn agreement between two parties for the purpose of creating and maintaining a successful relationship. And this is the whole thought behind the series. That's what a covenant is. It's, a, it's about two parties coming together for the purpose of creating and maintaining a successful relationship. And the reason that relationships aren't successful today is because we don't understand and live as God intended us to live. God's ways are not to restrict us, guys. God's ways are to bring us life. And when we live the way that God intended us to live, it's, ama it's, it's amazing how much we benefit. In Luke chapter 22, verse 20, Jesus said after the supper that he took a cup of wine and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm ready and willing. As a matter of fact, to go to a level in the relationship that I have with you, that I'm going to do something that's going to totally blow you away because in a few hours, I'm not just going to give it lip service, but I'm going to give it life service. Life service. And what Jesus was saying there, listen, if we're serious about relationships with one another, and I'm not just talking about your spouse, but if you're serious about relationships with other people, listen to me. For them to survive it's going to take us to a depth that many of us aren't willing to go. Because Jesus himself would say this, there is no greater love than another, one, another person for a friend to lay down one's life for a friend. But what if our relationships with one another just weren't based off of what we could do, what somebody could do for us, but what if our relationships were really built on an unsuccessful practice, an unselfish practice that the Scripture talks to us about? What if... What if, what if our relationships with one another wasn't so much about what you can do for me, but what I have an opportunity to do for you. I want you to write down just three things quickly today, and there are many other things that we could talk. I want to give you three things, the differences between a covenant and a contract. Three things, three things really quickly today. You might want to write these down. You might want to hold on to them. Three things in reference to the difference between a covenant and a contract relationship. Number one, a covenant relationship is based off of commitment. We live in a generation that really doesn't know an awful lot about commitment. Um, as a matter of fact, we're all into contracts. You do me wrong, I'll get you back. And a contract might work in business, guys, but listen, it doesn't work in relationships. It doesn't work in a relationship. It just doesn't work that way. Authenticity is completely lost when you're waiting for the hammer to drop. When you're trying to function out of performing to, to keep somebody happy, it destroys intimacy. Completely destroys intimacy. A covenant says, I'm willing to be unhappy while we work through it. Covenant says, I'm not going anywhere. You know when you take divorce off the table, it's so much easier to fight. Think about that. When you take divorce off the table, man, fighting becomes easy because you know you're going to be stuck together, so you might as well go ahead and get it over with. There's no sense in dragging this thing out. If you're going to be stuck together and you're going to have to, because you're in covenant with one another, you might as well just go ahead and get it over with. But commitment is such a funny word, isn't it? Because commitment isn't commitment until you go through a difficult time. And then you have to 
express it. Then you got to live it out. And that's when it becomes commitment. See, we can say, I'm committed. Let a time of difficulty come. And then you'll see whether or not how committed you are. Commitment. Commitment is only commitment when things get tough. And here's a definition, commitment. I'm willing to be unhappy while we work it out. And that's what covenant people do. They consider the person that they're in conflict with to be more important than what they're fighting about. Anybody ever said, I'm sorry? I was wrong. Meredith makes me go another step. Will you forgive me? I was wrong. I'm sorry. You know. And then Meredith adds this. She goes, for what? I'm like, well, that's, why do you ask me that for? <laughs> the reason we fight is because we're right. Somebody's probably been in a conflict today because you were right about an issue and you didn't want to let it drop. Conflict. We fight because we're right. If I didn't feel I was right, there'd be no reason to fight. When you make what you're fighting more important than the person you're fighting with, it's over. But a covenant relationship says, I might be right, but you're more important than being right. I value you. I love you more than being right. Covenant people just don't throw up their hands and say, I'm out of here. I'm done with it. I'm finished. Contract relationship is reflected in mutual mistrust. A contract relationship is reflected in mutual mistrust. And this is what it says. It carries it with the thought, I'm watching you. I don't know when the last time that you guys have filled out some mortgage papers or you filled out some refinance, refinance papers or you, you bought a vehicle and you had to fill out a stack of papers that were probably this big. You know why? Because everybody's trying to protect their fanny. It's just a, a, a tremendous amount of paperwork. And the reason that you got so much to sign is everybody's trying to cover the rear. And a contract isn't about trust, but it's about mistrust. In Romans chapter 12, verse 4, this is what Paul said. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has its own special function, so it is with Christ's body. We're many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. And what Paul was saying, man, listen, the parts of the body under the leadership of the Lord functions together. Under the leadership of the Lord functions together. I mean, my part, this part of the body, isn't waiting for this part not to function so that they can get mad and upset and turn around and walk away. They function together under the Lordship of the Father. A covenant is based on trust. A contract is based off of mistrust. Number two, a covenant relationship surrenders rights and assumes responsibilities. A covenant relationship says, I'm not here to be served, but I'm here to serve. You know, it's amazing the amount of tensions that arise where we're in a situation. So many times the tensions are there because we're expecting something from somebody that we ourselves aren't willing to give. Tensions arrive because you're looking to be served instead of serving. You know, it's, it's amazing how smooth things can go inside of a relationship when you're concerned more with serving the other person than you are with them serving you. This is what Paul said. Though he was God, he didn't think that equality with God is something to cling on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. You want to talk about, you want to talk about surrendering um, 
some rights and assuming some responsibilities. See, that's a covenant. That's a covenant. Surrenders rights, assumes responsibilities. A contract protects rights and shirks responsibilities. A contract protects rights and shirks responsibility. A contract says, I'm only in this relationship as long as you are in agreement with me. It says that I'm in this relationship as long as you do for me what I want you to do. It's all about the protection of rights and properties. It's a prenuptial agreement. You owe me. It's about it. you being committed to me, not necessarily me being committed to you. The, the senior adult lady who they were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary, and we have several that have celebrated 50 years here at Heritage. What a blessing that is. But she was asked one time by her grown-up daughter as they were together as a family, she said, Ma, I know that Dad's been really tough over the years. How in the world have you survived 50 years of being married to him? And she said, Honey, I know your Dad's got an awful lot of, an awful lot of faults. And she said, I knew that before I ever said I do. And she said, I took a list of those things that I knew that were your Dad's faults. And she said, I wrote them on a piece of paper ever before we were married. And I forgave him for every one of those things. And she said, while we were married, she said, when something took place that he hurt my feelings or I, I just felt like that I was, um, that I was hurt or I, I didn't feel good or things went wrong, I went back to that sheet of paper that I held in my room. And she said, I would go back and I would remember that I had already forgiven him for that fault. And she said, believe it or not, there were some things that he did to me that were not even on that list. And I would just bow and I would pray and I would say, thank you, Lord, for giving me the opportunity to forgive him now because I love him and I'm committed to him. Contract protects rights and shirks responsibilities. A covenant relationship surrenders rights and assumes responsibilities. See, we love to recite these words in our marriages to make them real, feel really good and, and, and it's just to be able to share how much we love. But some of the passages of Scripture that we share in our weddings don't necessarily deal with love as you and I see love. But they're really about spiritual maturity. Like that verse in 1 Corinthians, it says, you know, love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous, it's not boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand on its own way, it's not irritable. It keeps no records of wrongs. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, love never, love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. But what happens if we were to quit reciting those things inside of our marriages and we were to say, man, I'm really serious about this stuff. What if we were serious about, instead of just having a marriage that we were, or having a wedding, that we'd be really serious about a covenant relationship? The third thing is covenant has an interest to the other in mind. A covenant says, I don't care whose job that is, I'm on it. You ever heard anyone say something like this, that's not my job? Maybe you've heard it in the workplace, maybe you've heard it in the home. I heard it this morning in my house and I go, ooh, you know, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a sermon illustration. It's not my job. I did the dishes last time. I carried out the garbage last time. I vacuumed the house last time. It's not my job. Covenant says regardless of whose job it is, if I can help out and I'm on it because I value you. A contract has personal convenience as the priority. Covenant has the interest of the other at mind. A contract has personal convenience as the, as the uh, priority. A contract says it's all about me. It's all about me and my way. A covenant says just get it done. Regardless of whose job it is. 
A contract says, that's not on my job description. A covenant says, man, let me help out. What can I do? A contract holds a grudge. Covenants are willing to forgive because they see the bigger picture. A contract waits for others to fail. A covenant helps, uh, helps build others up. They have the other's best interest in mind. Philippians 2.4 says, don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others. Man, this just isn't good stuff. This is God's stuff. I didn't say it. That's what the Scripture has to say. And when I was working on this, this, this whole time, there was a passage of Scripture that popped up on, on one of my daily reminders, and it said this, Since then, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are the household of faith. And if you're sensing attention today, listen, man, you're not alone. There's probably a lot of us got a knot in our stomach because of something that's going on right now within the midst of our lives. And, and this is what I, I know. Every one of us in this room has a butt. I talked at the prison this past week for a graduation ceremony. I said, I want you all you guys to stand up and turn around and look. Every one of us have a button here. Every one of us have an opportunity to say, but you just don't understand. You don't know. You don't know what I'm experiencing. You don't, you, you don't know my story. You don't know how bad this person is hurt. And you're right, I don't know. I don't understand that, but God does. And it's a dilemma that every one of us have to fate, face. And you can't live in covenant until you've experienced covenant. And that covenant comes from an, uh, an unbelievable loving God that is unconditional and just wraps His arms around us. A God that is unconditional that would, that would see far enough out to know that there was no way that we could save ourselves and that He would walk into a situation and allow His Son Jesus Christ to die for our sins. We talk about covenant relationships. I want to be able to, to close by letting you guys see this video because I think a lot that takes place inside of this hope video deals a lot with relationships. It deals a lot with hope, but it deals an awful lot with relationships, relationships that Robin would have with God in the midst of a difficult time. She would say, God, I'm not letting go, but I'm holding on to you. Or a husband that was willing to not shirk his responsibility, but to say, honey, whatever it is I need to do, I'm going to be it. I'm doing it. I'm hanging on in the middle of this. Or a group of friends that would surround her to say, listen, as you're walking through this time of difficulty, we're not just going to leave you over here and we're going to pass you to the side, but we're going to hold on to you because we're in a covenant relationship. We're in a love relationship and we know what it's like to hold on to somebody. So I want you to watch this video and, and we'll finish up right after it's over with. 